We live in an age of fast food, endless streaming services, and sedentary jobs. As a result, American men have become physically weak. Observing this fact has led to many commentators on Christian Twitter pushing for men of Christ to get back into the gym and regain the discipline that comes from regular strength training. In response to this, another group of commentators has risen out, risen up, I should say, to uh, have opposition to this. They are saying that to be physically strong, to idolize that is, of course, a great sin. So we've talked before on this show about fat pastors and the dangers of lacking disciplines in important areas. So on this episode of Forge and Anvil, Michael and I will be joined by professional strongman and strength trainer Matt Reynolds to discuss why Christian ex, men ex should aspire. Ex-professional. Strongman to us. Strongman to us. When you're the president, you're 90, and they still call you president so-and-so. <laughs> President awesome. Bush, President Clinton, they're always still a president. Do I, I always get to retain my pro strongman status? Oh yeah, and that's 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 how I view. You. I mean, once a strongman, always a strongman. So love it. that okay. being said, Matt, it. you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience for those who are not yet familiar. Sure. Thank you guys for having me on the show. Uh, I think it's the second time on the show. So uh, yeah, I'm Matt Reynolds. I uh, I was in my earlier life, but uh, I'll still retain the title and fine with that. Uh, I was a uh, uh, elite level power lifter in uh, four different weight classes from the 220s to the 308s. So, but my body weight up over the course of several years and then turned my attention to strongman. Well, my pro card in, in strongman, like the world's strongest man in 2006, toured on that uh, circuit from 06 to 10, opened up a, a strength training gym called Strong Gym, which grew to be the largest strength gym in the country in 08. Uh, was actually. Uh, my first career, I was actually a public school teacher, which I'm thankful to not be now. I uh, got my master's degree to be a high school principal. By the time I finished the master's degree, I knew I wasn't going to stay in the public school system. And uh, so I left in 2012 the public education uh, system, the government schools, to run the gym full time. Sold the gym in 2015 and opened up the company that I that I own and the CEO and, and president of the board now, uh, which is called Barbell Logic. It's one of the largest online strength coaching companies in the world. And uh, we try to provide just really highly professional, uh, high touch service to our clients. We, we don't just provide, we connect clients to expert coaches all over the world. Those coaches provide not just programming through our own app, but they also actually, you actually video yourself doing your lifts and your coach breaks down your videos and your lifts within 24 hours. Uh, via integrated screen recording. So basically it's asynchronous. So you can, you know, we've got clients over the, all over the world. You get a client in Singapore, you know, they're going to train at three in the morning our time. And then I'll get up at, you know, four, four thirty, and break down their videos. And by the time they wake up the next morning, they've got their breakdown from their coach and they're ready to go for the next workout. So that's what we do. Uh, it's been great. I've found a, an interesting niche over the last, I think, year and a half or so in kind of the Christian reformed community of being, you know, kind of the, the strength coach of that community, which I'm, I'm happy to be a part of. I, I coach a, a lot of my own personal clients on online. I still have about 40 clients online and most of my executives, uh, I still make them coach because I think it's good to keep your, your eye refined and understand the, the software that we're building. And so I still coach about 40 clients and it's uh, over time that has become more and more a, a lot of reformed pastors and things like that. So uh, it's been a blast doing that. So get to do that. Actually had my first inaugural board meeting with all my investors and whatnot last week in Chicago. Went really well. Everything went great. So the business has flourished and grown. And I can't believe, you know, the size it's become. And I can remember I was I was actually talking to my my 
daughter who turns 19 here in a couple of days. I was talking to her about, uh, I remember being 19 and I was really into weightlifting and the internet was new, you know, it was the late nineties. And, uh, I spent all my time, you know, reading weightlifting articles and, and, uh, translated text from the old Russian Soviet coaches that have been communism, obviously had fallen a few years before and they translated all their books into English. And I was just, it was like this huge hobby. And my, my parents and my family were like, what, what is this weird hobby that you have? They weren't very supportive. And, uh, Mom, if you listen, you you know you've heard me tell this story before. Now that it's a multi million dollar business, uh, they're very supportive. <laughs> and so, and so um, I certainly never thought that it would become that either. Hence the uh, going to school to become a teacher, and I you know I just thought I'd be a I thought I'd be a high school principal and and would coach and I coached football and I was the head strength coach at a big high school in Missouri and uh, thought that would was kind of be the career and then and then strength training would just kind of be. You know, I guess it was more than a hobby. I mean, at the point that you're a professional, you're it's sort of probably sort of an obsession. Uh, but I, but I think the cool thing is, and maybe a good lead in to the conversation today is that over time, it, we've always tried to provide strength training and, and that strength training service for for improvement of quality of life. Like it's strength training and health for quality of life. That's kind of always been the thing. And then my business is now in its ninth year, so it's been going for a while. But as as I've become much more reformed, and I was I was Calvinist when I when I started this business, but I've become more reformed. You you really start to see the the implications of strength training on taking dominion and playing the long game. You know, I want to be the jacked grandpa that doesn't just walk my daughters down the aisle, but but I'm there for my my granddaughters' weddings and hopefully my great granddaughters' weddings, and maybe if I'm really blessed, my great great granddaughters' weddings. I don't know if the Lord blessed me that much, but we're playing the long game. And so I think that some of that change, you know, obviously that strength training for health and longevity and quality of life and keeping up with your kids and your grandkids. And, and I think taking dominion and, and, you know, living life well is a a big part of, of who we are. And so I think that's a, it certainly is not a major shift from who we were, but I think it's kind of added on over the last couple of years to, really understanding playing the long game and and taking dominion for sure yeah yeah and i'm just glad to have you on matt because we've got a whole lot of stuff that we're gonna be able to pick your brain about over the next uh uh next while and um i I mean all this was kind of spurred on by the debate that i kind of mentioned at the at the opening here that i know that you i'm sure witnessed because it was very heavy especially in reform twitter uh just the debate on whether or not men should aspire to be strong and you know there's there was a group that was all for it, um, really emphasizing the importance of strength training as Christian men and the importance of Christians to be strong and aspire to that. And then, of course, there's another group that it kind of uh, uh, immediately was um, sounding the alarm on idolatry, saying that men were, um, you know, idolizing strength training. And um, obviously, there's nuance to that conversation, but there definitely were the two extremes. So that's kind of where we we find ourselves in this conversation. Um so I had thrown out a tweet of, you know, joking earlier about fat pastors and that's yeah. something that we've talked about, but really what we're, what we're honestly talking about is, is discipline and understanding that we're, we're not advocating for a form of Gnosticism where, you know, you actually, uh, you know, are, we're legalistic about it, where if you have a certain, um, level of, uh, or w- once your deadlift gets over a certain number, then you're actually able to, uh, you know, to properly, uh, exegete scripture or something like right. that. Like, ob- right, obviously right. we're not, we're not, uh, talking anything like that here. Um, but, but what kind of, um, 
uh, what would you, both of you uh, gentlemen, uh, wh why do you think it's important for Christian men to actually strive for physical strength? Michael, you want to take the first stab at that and then I'll sure, follow man. up. Yeah. Uh, multiple times, uh, you know, there's a biblical precedence to this. And oftentimes when it comes to athleticism, we like to look at Paul saying, run the race set before you. And it's like, yeah, sure. That's good. Or when he says, uh, physical training is of some value, but spiritual training is greater. That's good as well. Uh, I like to look in the old Testament. I'd, I'd like to study the old Testament a lot of my life. And I look specifically to Job and, you know, Job is messed up and he's all beaten down and he's complaining to God and he's got his friends that aren't very helpful. They are also trying to give him advice that isn't that great. And God comes into the conversation around chapter 38 and 40. Yep. And both times when he starts talking to Job, he says, you know, the, the way that we translate this is gird up your loins like a man or yep. dress for action like a man. And I want to talk about that just a little bit because each of those words in the Hebrew is really interesting because he's basically saying put on strength like a warrior is another way we could translate that because the sure. word man there is a giver. It's not like it's not like a just a male. It's not a a human. You know, sometimes we say man, mankind is like the same thing or sure. it loses its gender. Uh the manhood that, that God's speaking about here, as well as through the Proverbs and the, the Psalms, even in Lamentations 3 is a great example of this word, where manhood is defined in strength and fortitude. And yep. I believe in this case, God is saying to Job, dress yourself in strength like a man, you know, have testicular fortitude, because what I'm <laughs> about to tell you isn't going to be comfortable. And then he proceeds to really humble Job and kind yeah. of put him in his place a little bit yeah. and give him you? some perspective. Who were yeah, you exactly. when I spun Who the earth? Into... <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. right. Exactly. Told the waters to only come this far is it's one of my favorite yeah. chunks of scripture for sure. So certainly strength strength is an initiative that we are called to time and time again. And uh, strength is not just our tendon strength. It's not just our muscular strength. It's our mental strength. But oftentimes that is a multifaceted endeavor that we can cultivate through physical training. Yep. Man, you, you said that great. I mean, I, I think that we tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater um, with with strength. And, and I think often we look at maybe the bodybuilding crowd, which is just very aesthetics based. And, you know, I'm going to get on stage and have a beauty pageant with other guys and and so people, especially in the reform community, will kind of shy away from that and say, now I would also shy away from that. I'm, that's not really what this is about. Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't great Christian bodybuilders. I think it's tough to do. Um, but, but, you know, but for us, I, I think, again, Job's interesting, right? Because it's, it's, we think, the oldest book in the Bible. And, and then, but, you know, it doesn't, it's not first in the Bible. So we get the, you know, the story of creation and, and the, uh, the the covenant with Abraham with Noah and Abraham and you know obviously the fall before that and but then there are actually a lot there are a lot of examples in kind of the Exodus and and taking uh, the promised land and you know Caleb going and be like like we're we're strong and right like we're strong and ready to go and this he literally is talking about like we're we're stronger than the men we're going to fight like put us into battle 
and we will win this battle for the Lord. And it's 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 a strength. You know, when you see in Proverbs, like the the glory of young men are, are is their strength, and it literally means physical strength or or the Shema, like love love the Lord your God with all your your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this is like a this is a statement of totality. And so, yes, we love our we love the Lord with our heart and with our mind and with our soul and with everything we have. But part of the everything we have is the physical peace. And so when we see that that that's that physical strength or physical training is of some value, it's like there's a value there. And so I certainly wouldn't argue that physical strength is the most important thing in life. I don't think it is. I think it is generally excellent for everyone, men, women. Christians, non-Christians. I mean, we, we've seen a lot of people take, it, it causes people to take personal responsibility in their life. Nobody's going to make you put a heavy barbell on your back and squat. And so the kind of idea of voluntary hardship is very refining. And and often the men, the spiritual strength is a little different, obviously, but the the mental fortitude and the emotional fortitude and social strength, and that, those things often are downstream from physical strength and so i mean in my own life i was i was just i was always this skinny nerdy you know baptist preacher's kid and uh, when i started strength training it gave me the confidence to it was amazing like certainly i gained physical strength but i also gained a lot of mental fortitude you learn how to do hard things under the bar that nobody's going to force you to do we're we're we know that we are called to suffer in romans 8 and there are going to be involuntary hardships that we get called into um, and so when we practice voluntary hardship, I think we it better prepares us for the involuntary hardship that we know will come at some point, some more than others. And so, of course, I think there's a there's a huge benefit to that. And so, you know, we've obviously we've built I've built my career and our business around this thing. And uh, and the other thing is, it's not, you know, obviously we, we've got thousands of clients and some of them are, you know, a lot of them are not Christian. Some of them are atheists, some of them, but. But I think that for any of them, that step of doing no voluntary hardship and taking personal responsibility in their life is is often the the first step in moving the right direction. And so I'm proud of what we've been able to do that. You know, certainly that doesn't mean if you squat, you're going to become Christian and reformed and leave (laughs) all like we do. But um, it's a good step in the right direction. And it's not. You know, it's not very controversial. I mean, you know, with, with you know, with the exception of some of the mainstream media saying that, you know, right, <laughs> if you lift your right wing and if you lift your, I saw the article this week. It's like if you lift weights, it's uh, gives you a seven x potential increase in heart uh, heart attacks, which is the most ridiculous. <laughs> seven times, good grief! Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Guys that exercise are seven times more likely to die of a heart attack. It's completely yeah, ridiculous. So obesity uh, doesn't cause heart disease. Yeah, it's right, right. Like, what's the biggest <laughs> cause of heart disease is like people being fat and <laughs> metabolic syndrome and are. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's just, again, you've got this idea with culture has started to pick up on like, oh, man, if people lift, if people get strong, they take personal responsibility for their actions. If they take personal responsibility for their actions, they can't be a victim. If they can't fall into victimhood mentality, they can't be woke. And, and mm-hmm. if they can't be woke, then they can't follow the narrative. And so we should keep people from lifting. I mean, I really think that's what the thing is. And so yeah. that's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, listen, I still definitely I know I've got clients and I've even got coaches who are who are very left leaning, leaning uh, politically who still lift. So it's like lifting, yeah. I, I'm certain, doesn't make you right wing. Uh, right. But at the same time, I, I do think it is interesting that as more people 
as you lift and you get stronger and you do hard things and it doesn't always have to just be you know heavy strength training it's like you go you know prepare for a marathon or a 5k or whatever the thing is i think that that choice of taking voluntary hardship and doing something that no one else is going to make you do and you choose to do the thing it certainly better prepares you for when somebody gets cancer that which may be you and maybe a family member or when you have to have a hard discussion with a family member or church discipline conversation with a with a church member or whatever like you're just better prepared for that and so yeah I think there's a ton of benefit there. And we, and we, just like you said, Michael, we, we see this in the old Testament a lot. There's a lot of references. There are, there are a lot of references to, to actual physical strength. And I think strength is one of those weird words. It's like in English, like the word love, right? And we know everybody's heard the story about, you know, there's, there's all these different words for love in the Greek, the different types of, you know, we say like, we love pizza, we love our dog, we love our wife, we love Jesus. And it's like, those are all different versions of love. And and we often use strength the same way. It's the strength, you know, like okay, she you know she beat cancer. She was really strong. Well, like not really. It's not really strength. That's like mental fortitude. Maybe she was physically strong, or maybe the person was physically strong that beat cancer. Um, I think it would prepare you well. As a matter of fact, we've had a lot of clients who have who've gotten strong and then gone through cancer and beat cancer. And I think a lot of that is because, and certainly they would say that even more than I would. Uh, I had a text from a guy today who's who's pushing sixty, who battled really intense cancer he had a uh, like back in his like kind of throat or jaw and uh and he thinks the thing that saved his life was the fact that he was strong and when he came back from the chemo and the radiation he went right back to strength training and started with the empty bar and got strong again and now he's hitting all-time prs and the guy's in his 60s mm. and uh you know stronger than he's ever been in his life and he's like this change you know this saved my saved my life so so, you know, I, I think that for some people, it's got a great, there's more weight to it than others. And I think for others, you know, we, we joked, we or we joke about the fat pastor problem. Um, right. You know, and I do think it is a problem, right? And so I, I was saying on Twitter that I, I am empathetic there because I've, you know, I've been that guy before too. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, is that it shows a lack of discipline somewhere. Exactly. And so if we expect our pastors, and I think we should, and I think it's something you're called to be, is disciplined. And yep. so these, these pastors are often very disciplined in their theology and in their preaching. They take, they take the Bible seriously. And, but if they don't take their physical health seriously, then you can see that there's, a, there's something missing there. And I've, right. I've equated it as well in other podcasts to, to pastors also who are, you know, really struggle financially. And for some of those pastors, because their church is paying them ten thousand dollars a year, like, yeah, you know, yeah, the churches support their pastors well. Uh, but you know, pastors are constantly struggling to to keep the lights on at their house. Uh, it's it's usually a lack of, of financial discipline, and so so I think those things will show up sometimes in the lives of pastors or church leaders. And you can say, well, look, this is a deficiency where we have to have more discipline. And, um, and, and I, I think one of the advantages we have in the Christian community is that you know, I've talked about this before, where, where to me, if you do discipline for the right reasons, it should lead to motivation. If you di do discipline for the right reasons, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, you see Jocko and he takes pictures of his watch at 430 in the morning or whatever, and mm -hmm. posts every day and 405 or whatever. And uh, I, I would argue that Jocko is actually not disciplined about waking up at 405 in the morning. I'd I wake up, I actually usually wake up earlier than I would wake up at 3.30, but I don't take pictures of my watch. Now, here's the thing. I like getting up at 3.30. I like getting up at 4. I don't set an alarm. It's just what time I wake up. 
and I go downstairs and start working. And so the question is, is am I disciplined in waking up at 3.30 or 4 in the morning? Or am I motivated? It brings me joy. I get great work done from 4 a.m. till 7 a.m. when my family wakes up. And I think so I think a lot of times that that discipline that we do in strength training, it works the same. When you first start to train or exercise, you often don't want to do the thing. You get off the couch and you do it. Hmm. And but if you do it for the right reason, oops, I lost my sorry, I lost my monitor. If you do it for the right reason, then um, you will often find that a couple weeks after you're doing it out of discipline. So there's some white knuckle discipline to start. That discipline often turns into motivation. Right. And then you're motivated to do the thing. Once you're motivated to do the thing, if you have motivation for the right reason, which leads to joy, that motivation turns into habit. And so pretty soon training or eating well or you know, keeping keeping good stewardship of your finances just becomes part of who you are the same way you get up in the morning and brush your teeth and take a shower and and tie your shoes and so i think that's really what we're trying to do with strength training we're trying to get people to understand like this is just part of who we are and part of what we do and it's not elevated necessarily above the other good things that we do uh, you're talking about it being an idol can it be an idol yes i mean like right. anything can be right and i think mostly in the christian world we tend to take good things and we turn them into idols and turn that into sin you see this with with women who do this with their children you see this with men who do this with their work um good good things that we're called to do but they're not to be idols they're not to be elevated above our love for the lord and so strength training and physical training and looking great and all that kind of stuff that can that can become that too so we're, we're constantly you know it's the, it's the old adage of the we've got the ditches on both sides of the road and we're trying to keep the car on the road and so you can go one way and become the fat pastor you can go the other way and become overly focused on aesthetics yep. and how you look both are sin uh both are idolatry on some level and uh our goal is to help people keep the keep the car on the road yeah and the reality is i i just started getting back into into strength training again um you know at the beginning of the year and and really i'm just getting back into general fitness i you know my goal is to get stronger so of course i am i am trained to get stronger um, but I don't necessarily have a specific PR goal in mind as much as I have a goal of just general fitness. And immediately that, you know, I've only been back at it for about a month and a half or so, almost two months or so. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I immediately am delighting in uh, is the fact that I can throw my two year old above my head a few dozen more times than I, sure. than I could right. a couple months ago. And I just, I just don't tire as easy. You know, there's just some like everyday blessings that general strength, uh, is, is a, a wonderful, uh, way of amplifying. And, and yep. it, again, it, it, it can become an idol, but ultimately we're not, I, I think it, it really just boils down to not, not falling on either side of the ditch. Like you said, um, but, but ultimately just leaning into God's created order, um, you know, I think, I think so many of us are not, are not living in a way that is normal when you would look at even just like back, um, honestly, even just a couple of decades ago, but especially back a hundred years ago, uh, the amount of lifestyles that we had, we no longer are this like primary ag agrarian culture or anything like that, sure. that keeps us naturally physically fit. So nowadays when you have a work from home, uh, a job, you got to do what you can to make sure that you actually get off your lazy butt and, <laughs> and make yourself go to that deer, that, that gym and the, you know, that, that, uh, voluntary hardship, like you said, so you can actually enjoy the fruit of 
uh honestly your youth like like god made men to be strong um at least during their youth and uh, as as you've already uh displayed for us matt even long beyond that um but you don't enjoy it if you don't actually lean into the gifting that god gave you which is a, a body capable of of being physically strong yeah for sure yeah no, I, I, I couldn't agree yeah go ahead michael I was going to say, as, as Christians, part of the reason this is an important conversation, and Matt, you mentioned earlier uh, the idea of finances. That's another area where we are called to stewardship. And, you know, Jesus has a plethora of, of lessons about finances and stewardship of those finances. I think fit, physical fitness is an area of stewardship where we are better equipped to serve God and to serve his purposes if we are more physically able. Sure. And of course the area that I learned that the best, if I can just tell a little story here in 2012, I had the privilege of going to Nairobi, Kenya on a cross-cultural ministries training trip where I engaged in evangelism in uh, dialogue with locals, as well as other missionaries in the area. And we went into some of the worst slums on earth and, I had the privilege of helping to build a wall around a church so that the church grounds would not be vandalized by the people in the slum. Well, the pastor of the church was a named, man named Paul who had lost his leg to polio when he was a child. And mm. for a one-legged dude, he was a very strong and powerful man who would pole vault around on a single cane right. as his crutch. Right. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember here I was, this little high school kid who... You know, I was a wrestler through high school. I had some strength, but not much. I probably weighed a buck sixty, soaking wet, and I was six foot five at the time too. So mm. here I was, this scrawny kid, yeah. doing the best thing I could, and I was, I was carrying bags of concrete back and forth to help the men to do that. And at certain points, I would put one on either shoulder and carry him. Well, that was a Saturday. The next Sunday morning, we attended that church, which this little church is a lean to against a wall just a tin shack held up by wooden planks it was not an elegant church by any means and we sat on benches in front of this one-legged man who preached ferociously the gospel in a beautiful way and he preached the shema just like matt mentioned earlier loving the lord with all of our heart mind soul and strength and when he got to strength he pointed at me very deliberately and said, our brother Michael here, yesterday I saw him lift 50 kilos like it was nothing. And that is loving the Lord with all of his strength. And mm -hmm. I pray that he continues to do that all of his life. And he, he compelled the others to do the same. And I don't say that to say that, wow, I'm so amazing. Because I know by a lot of our standards, I was very weak physically at the time. But I was, I had trained myself enough that I was able to serve this community with my strength. And it became an example of loving God with my strength. And that always stuck out to me. And I, I felt, I didn't feel like I was being put on a pedestal as an example for anyone else. I felt that that man sure. was preaching to me and saying, God has given me this body. I have an, a responsibility to the Lord to steward it well so that I can serve him with the strength of my back every day of my life. And to do anything right. less of that would not be honoring to God. That's great. Agreed. And and coming back to the story I was telling about, we use strength, that word strength, in a lot of different ways. But if you look at the actual Shema, it's literally talking about physical strength there. Like, because it's mm -hmm. a statement of totality, it's 
it's trying to pull out all of these things like your your intellect your your heart your soul your you know your mind and your physical strength like we we glorify god with all of those things and if the if the chief end of man is to glorify god then we have an opportunity to glorify god with all of those things and again i think that especially for whatever reason in the reformed community we we tend to be a group of people who um lean on our intellect and our and our knowledge of doctrine and theology and bible all wonderful things are probably more important than physical strength but we often put such emphasis on that that we forget about the need to glorify god with our physical bodies and so i don't think that means you know putting on a pink thong bikini and having a beauty pageant with other dudes uh i think <laughs> i think that i think we're talking about taking dominion i think we're talking about leading and serving and supporting and providing for our families well right. i think if we're playing the long game and i live a life that that kills me at 61 then i didn't get to play much of a long game you know i want to be like yeah. i've got eternity to be in heaven and i can't wait to get there but i would also love to see as much of this long game that see if we're able to really move the ball down the field and see if my kids are able to do the same and my grandkids are i want to see as many generations of reynolds do that as possible and the best way I can do that is to glorify the Lord with my with my body, with my physical body, with my strength, with my with my performance, with my quality of life, with my health, with my longevity, like all these all of these things, which is far more than just how much can you bench press or how much muscle mass you have or or whatever the thing is. All those things are actually, I think, are solid metrics to show that you're moving in the right direction. But ultimately, I I want to be here for a while and see the thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah the, sorry, go ahead, Connor. Go ahead. No, you you go ahead, Michael. <laughs> I was just gonna say about those measurables, Matt. Last time we talked, you threw out some some standards. Okay. You said <laughs> body weight overhead press, one and a half body weight for bench, two times body weight for a squat, two and a half times for deadlift. Yep. Being a six foot seven, two fifty guy, to do. that yeah, is. Yeah pissed me off every day since <laughs> yeah yeah and it's been a it. great motivator i've started a, a very disciplined progressive overload so that i can rub it in your face but no it's uh, good i hope you get not to. just rub it in your face but to yeah, yeah. god of course yeah yeah but... for sure for sure yeah and i, I was just oh, saying about that i i think just about any any male who is certainly if they're if they're under 45 let's say um you know and they're they're they still have a decent amount of testosterone in their system and they're healthy. They don't have any major injuries. I think, that, I think anybody can achieve those numbers. I think those numbers are achievable for anybody. You have guys come on sometimes some of my clients and they say, do you think I can, I can deadlift 600 pounds? I'm like, I don't know. 600 pounds is pretty heavy, <laughs> you know? And so, but we can get to those numbers, like those numbers. If you're consistent, you'll hit those numbers. I can see some of my clients that are on this call right now. And like, I'm training them and, and some of them are, are newbies and they're, you know, they're just, they're just it's just about consistency and and the lifting is also about playing the long game you're you know you're not going to have the body you want or look the way you want or hit the milestones that you want in six weeks or even six months it's it's a it's a long game and so and, and again I, th I think it's part of and for me this is kind of just the way i'm wired i always enjoyed the process of getting strong and i i love to compete i mean competing in powerlifting and strongman were super fun but I actually really like the process of getting there even more than the competition itself. And I, I tended to be good at, at competition. You see this some, and I don't know why necessarily. I just, I would tend to rise to the occasion and, and do well at competitions and perform well. And, 
And, um, but ultimately like the joy, if I look back, like my best memories are actually in the process of getting there, not in the actual competition themselves. And so, okay. you know, I think when we play the long game, you just, you know, I, I turned 45 a couple weeks ago and, um, you know, so I'm, I'm probably not ever going to hit a PR again. I mean, I was a professional strongman back in the, you know, again, 2006, 2010. So the chances of me deadlifting 800 pounds or, uh, it's, probably not going to happen <laughs> so I'd, i've torn both pecs like the chances of bench pressing 500 pounds it's i'll never bench press 500 pounds and um, i got really close and um but you know it's that that's okay because that's not what this is about and so the 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 concept of the pr or what we call the personal record is still something that we keep and so i keep prs now like post 40 prs like post 40 year old prs because that's not the same guy that was 32 year old professional strongman matt and uh, and so again because i'm playing the long game I, I i don't want to go to the gym and be depressed or you know like oh I, i'm not as strong as i was when i was 30 or 33 or whatever so i'm 45 well, no of course but i but to me now the some actually the most important important metric to me now is consistency is getting in and actually training six times a week getting in and doing something six you know i don't i don't lift heavy weights six times a week but i'm doing some form of exercise and i take sunday off it's lord's day and but I try to do something Monday through Saturday, and uh, and that's if I do that, I will. I tend to stay healthier. Things hurt less as I get older. Uh, I perform better. I feel better. I'm more present with my family. I'm more mentally focused and, and on the business. You know, all of those things. Um, and so that's that's the goal. So whereas when I was 30, and I was trying to you know be a barn burner in the in the in the professional you know performance competitive world. It was really more about numbers on the bar and it's less about numbers on the bar now. And I, and I don't want to take away from that because I still try to push numbers on the bar up. I think that the load on the bar actually matters. Uh, but, you know, like I'm I don't have to shoot for a, a 500 pound bench press by the time I'm 50 because that's probably not going to happen. But if I shoot for getting in the gym six times a week, then, you know, like I'm 45, I can still bench 315 for some reps. That's pretty strong, you know, especially for your tip for anybody. But especially for a 45 year old guy who's a CEO of a company and and works a ton and you know but and and then kind of like your pecs. yeah who's torn both my pecs <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's it if you go way down in the Instagram you'll see like all the bruised up actually I did a I think I did an article for Art of Manliness for Brett McKay when mm-hmm. I tore my pec on how to, how I rehabbed it and so you can Google that article and you can see the pictures of the giant bruise on my pec and hmm. and I started bench pressing the next day a 33 pound female bar uh, to get to get blood flow to the pec and so it wouldn't mm-hmm. scar and to lay down collagen and you know the the muscle for those of you guys who are watching the muscle tissue is is a contractile tissue it has let me see if i can do this as sliding you have sliding filaments on your muscles and so they actually slide over each other. like when your bicep if you you know if you've got a your arm is lengthened and you look at how long your bicep is it's long and when you bend your elbow, flex your elbow, it becomes shorter. And so that's because the the muscles, the sliding filaments slide over themselves. And so um, so yeah, when you when you injure yourself, we even have ways that we work around that. You go, look, we what most people do when they injure themselves is stop. They just stop training. They don't do anything. I, I see my my client and good buddy Stuart. Yeah, too. Stuart's got this deal with his foot right now. He's a great reformed pastor. And um He's like, what do I do, boss? And I'm like, we're going to keep training. We're just going to work around it. Because if you don't do anything, you don't get better. 
And so, you know, people hurt their back or they hurt their knees. Like everybody's got a bad back and bad knees. Like it's just by the time you're in your forties, you have bad back and bad knees and everybody does. And so they go, I can't lift. Like, well, how's your back going to get stronger and more resilient and less vulnerable to injury if you don't lift? Hmm. Like we all know our parents throw their backs out. You know, they drop their keys on the floor and throw their backs out. It's not from deadlifting. And so I'll never forget years ago, it's probably 15, 20 years ago now. It's been a while. Uh, in the early days of Strong Gym, we had a we had a chiropractor come in, and a, a good chiropractor, not a not a weird New Age chakra chiropractor. <laughs> there's a lot of those out there, like a there sports a chiropractor. Oh yeah, there's a there, and they are few and far between, but one in ten are decent probably. And so anyway, he put these like nodes on our back, and he connected it to a a laptop. And uh, I don't know if it was like an EMG, maybe an EMG machine, um, like electromyograph, like basically showed the muscular contraction, the blood flow. And um, we had all these, you know, big time power. I mean, we had 20 guys that could deadlift over 700 pounds. And I think he thought he was going to go in there and hook this thing up. And you're going to have all these guys with terrible backs. And he was going to get a bunch of business out of it. And so he came one Saturday morning. We told the client, you know, we told our lifters, come and lift. And and then you can get hooked up by the, it's totally free. The chiropractor will see you. And we're just kind of do a diagnosis on the back. And I can remember as each guy went in, he got more depressed because everybody's back was perfect. So they're in there, wow. they're, you know, they're deadlifting 700 pounds or they're picking up 350 pound stones with, and you can't pick up a stone without a rounded back. You, you lift a stone rounded because, which is like not a great way to lift, but the stones on the ground, it's not like picking up a deadlift where you can set your back like flat. You're, you know, you're, you're picking it up rounded. And um, he was like, I've never seen such healthy backs. Like, yeah, everybody's strong. <laughs> Everybody has a strong, healthy back. They go to the grocery store and pick out the average 67 year old woman, put it on her back. Her back's a mess. Right. But she'll say yeah. or, you know, or the, you know, the the Uncle Rico football star from, from Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite. So well, I can't deadlift because I threw my back out in college. Or I threw my back out in high school or whatever. It's like, yeah. well, how is your back going to get stronger? How's your back going to get more resilient? Like, well, if you've got a good coach, you can actually lift and lift correctly and start very conservative and. You can titrate the weight up a little tiny bit at a time and your body adapts. It's amazing. The body's amazing. I mean, God was amazing when he, when he yeah. developed our body's ability to adapt. And so, you know, like I, we tell clients all the time, we don't care where you start. You come in and if you're deadlifting the empty, empty bar, and I probably told this story the last time I was on the podcast, the lady I coach, it's 87 and the Methodist, you know, the Methodist, uh, uh, organist. And I taught her how to deadlift a 15 pound kettlebell stacked up on hymnals. That's what she deadlifted the first time. And then a few years later, she was deadlifting 155 for sets of five. Like real deadlift, barbell, weights on the floor, just like powerlifting me. And so, you know, and she, she, her back was fused together and she had double hip replacements and a knee replacement. Like anybody can do this. You just like, but you're playing the long game. She wasn't going to get there in two weeks. Right? Yeah. So, okay. So let's start with the 15 pound kettlebell with hymnals stacked on the floor. And then what we did is every workout, we pulled a hymnal. And we made the deadlift. We made the kettlebell a little closer to the floor, and then we got the de we got the kettlebell, and then we got up to a forty-five pound kettlebell, and then eventually you put the bar in the rack, and she's deadlifting the empty bar, but on the safeties, a little weight, little weight, little weight, and then let's pull the safeties, let's put the bar on the floor, and you start deadlifting a little more weight, a little more weight, a little more weight. You know, three years later, she's deadlifting one fifty. Like that's it. That's you know, in in your eighties as a female with double hip replacements, and any, so you know, you're listening to this, and you're like, like, what's your excuse? Like, you can do this, but I, st I still see this. I, I still get this. And again, if you're listening and this is, there's like a hand, 
that I have a handful of guys who are very well known in the reform community who have reached out to me over the last couple of months. Are like, I've got, I need to be in great shape and I need to drop 35 pounds and look great in like the next, you know, six weeks. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, oh, if that's not sustainable. Like, okay, okay, can we get you looking better in six weeks? Yes. But it's whatever we're going to do over the next six weeks, you have to understand is completely unsustainable. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to, again, we're playing the long game. Just play the long game. Like, I promise you, if you do this, one, if you do it well and you do it consistently, in six weeks, you will feel tremendously different. You might not look that different. You might look at yourself in the mirror and be like, I don't see a huge, but you will feel different. And three months later, you'll look different. And six months later, you'll be a different person. And, mm. you know, a couple of years later of consistency, I mean, you're like, you, you don't hardly remember the person that existed two years ago. Yeah. When it comes to cultivating physical strength and uh, the longevity aspect of that, of course, I think one of the most obvious ways that guys try to kind of jump that ship or, or accelerate faster than maybe they should is through PEDs, uh, performance enhancing drugs. Sure. Is, is there something to be said aside from that? Is there something to be said about the abilities of guys who are using PEDs as opposed to not like it sure. comes to mind, uh, Clarence Kennedy, an incredible weightlifter who's done more than any human probably could at his size. And in the yep. past few years, that, that's been a, a testament, but it's pretty well known that he's using PEDs. Is it even possible or attainable to achieve that sort of strength per body weight without that sort of enhancement? No. Okay. <laughs> Everyone who is competitive at a national level in any strength sport, bodybuilding, powerlifting, strongman, including myself, when I was when I was doing it, it was on performance anti drugs. It's part of the sport. I mean, when you're at the top level of the sport, that's what people do because you're playing for fame and you're playing for for world records. And it would be, I mean, just think logically, it's impossible for someone to set a world record without performance enhancing drugs. That is not possible. Now, my guess is that we don't have a ton of listeners that are going to listen to this that are on performance enhancing drugs. However, an interesting thing has occurred over the past 15 years, let's say. Um, we, we kind of hit the low point in the 90s with uh, early 90s, especially like Lyle Elzado was a, I don't know if you guys, it's probably, you guys are too young. There was a guy who played uh, for the for the Raiders. He's a great player. And um, ended up dying of brain cancer in the late 90s, I think, or the mid 90s, early 90s, maybe even. And um, he said it was from the performance enhancing drug use that from all the years, like in the 70s when he played mm -hmm. 70s and 80s, we played for the Raiders. Later, we find out the guy died of AIDS. <laughs> it wasn't performance enhancing drugs. That, that's like, now, does it increase your potential for heart disease and certainly kidney or liver problems? Like, absolutely, it does. Now, what's happened? So when that happened, and in 1988, if you guys, again, how old are you guys in 88? Were you guys born 88? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so old. Uh, so, in, yeah. So in 88, uh, Ben Johnson, Canadian, uh, set the all-time, set the, the record uh, in the Olympics in the 100-meter dash and beat the golden boy, Carl Lewis, from the United States. And then the next day tested positive for Winstraw for performance enhancing drugs. His coach was Charlie Francis. And it's, it's a funny story because Charlie Francis has since died. He's the greatest track coach of all, of all time. Charlie Francis said, uh, oh, we had him all, all kinds of performance enhancing drugs, but not Winstraw. 
somebody somebody spiked his beer or something, and that's how. And I actually believe. I mean, like, I believe that because Winstrol is actually a an oral salute that's aqueous, like it's in water. You would never. You could actually literally squirt a little bit in a beer or any drink. You would ne- you would never taste it. So he's like, we weren't stupid. We knew how to we knew how to beat the drug tests. He was on all kinds of drugs, but he wasn't on that, right? And so the combination of this Canadian beating our American Golden Boy, by the way, was also on drugs. Uh, that's never been proven. But if you look at his face in '88, is so covered with acne, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and he's an adult man. He's not 19. Um, so he's on drugs too, because everybody's on drugs. The combination of that and Lyle Azedo dying of brain cancer and then blaming it on steroids caused this weird, you know, what the mainstream media does. It was a great story, and so we're going to run with it. And everybody was like, oh, performance anti drugs kills you, and it's going to give you brain cancer and, you know, all this stuff. And it's anti-American, you know. And uh, But for those of you listening to this and you're 40, 45, 50 plus, you should go get a blood test and see what your hormone levels are. Because there is a difference, a, a tremendous difference between hormone replacement therapy or TRT and performance enhancing drugs. Now, what I, and when I say that, they're, they're identical drugs. It's just synthetic testosterone is what you're taking. But the difference, to put it in perspective, of what your doctor would put you on for synthetic testosterone as a replacement of like your testosterone is low, i.e. you are struggling with your normal masculinity issues, like you're you're essentially becoming asexual, which happens and don't even know why have all sorts of, you know, stuff that we're doing to the water and the food and Lord knows what, and the vaccines. And I don't know what's all causing it, but testosterone is very low. It's uh, it's half of what it was. Our, our grandpas, our grandpas at our age had their testosterone was double the average American male in their mid eight in their you know forties. And so if your testosterone is low, you should go get it tested. And if it's low, you should bring it up to normal. Like that's, legal and fine and can be prescribed by a doctor so on so on average you're going to be prescribed about 100 to 125 milligrams of testosterone a week for testosterone replacement therapy or hormone replacement therapy a professional bodybuilder is going to take six thousand milligrams a week six grams 60 x the amount that your doctor is going to put you on so that's the difference and and high level power lifters and strongmen they're probably not on quite as much they're probably on a gram or two grams of so it's still 1000 to 2000 milligrams as opposed to a hundred. So, you know, they're 10 to 20 X what your doctor is going to put you on. So it's the exact same drug. It's the exact same pharmaceutical, but the amount that you take is tremendous. And so again, it's dose dependent as far as side effects go. And, you know, like if your testosterone is low, you're, you're going to be lethargic. You're going to have low libido. You're going to have tough time sleeping. Your recovery is poor. You have a hard time with protein synthesis, i.e. then muscle mass. You have a hard time putting on muscle mass. All those things are, they, those side effects are far worse. I, I don't know that I've ever met anybody who had low testosterone, was put on testosterone by their doctor at 100 milligrams a week or 125 or something like that and regretted it. If hmm. you take 5,000 milligrams a week, now you're talking about, you know, you get a, a thickening of the of the left ventricle of the heart and you know car- cardiovascular uh your, your heart grows basically and it's not really meant to grow because it's a muscle still and uh you know liver problems and kidney problems and and so you, it, you obviously you start to see the side effects really kick up there so that's the difference between what i would call performance enhancing drugs and trt which is still certainly performance enhancing but for the 45 year old guy who's just trying to keep up with the kids and future grandkids and lead their family well like that's 
that's something that guys should get checked out. So and you, you have to understand, I always say this, you have to have a good handle on things. Like if you've had very low testosterone for years and your doctor puts you on a normal amount of testosterone, it's kind of feels like you're going through puberty again. And so you really do have to be careful. I mean, if you struggle with lust, if you struggle with pornography, like I, I would still, I would say the side effects of that are worse than the side effects of having some low libido and low muscle mass or whatever. And so, mm. you know, I'm not telling everybody to do it. You've got to make a choice for yourself, but it's still a good thing to have tested. I mean, I think every guy should go out and get their blood tested every year and check your cholesterol and your triglycerides and HbA1c, which is kind of the pre-diabetes, um, you know, all those, all those APOB and all that stuff like that, that stuff is easy to get and cheap to come by at this point. So at least you have some baselines and if they're healthy and you're 30 or 35, you know what your baseline is. So then as you turn 40 and 45 and 50, you can compare to what you were at 30 and see how much the numbers change. So just a, I think mm. it's a smart thing to do. Yeah. So someone that I've, I've kind of recently been looking into a lot more. Um, I had the privilege of being on, um, on his podcast, although it hasn't released yet. I'm not sure when, but the raw egg nationalists. And, you know, he's been uh, talking a lot about slonking eggs and he talks a right. lot about the protein in eggs and how they're a great uh, source of protein. Um, as I'm, I'm, as I'm sure you'd agree, but something that I thought was interesting that he's kind of drawn to people's attention is the cholesterol in eggs and how yep. it's not nearly as bad as, as maybe the, the experts have, have made it out to be. So what's your thought on, on um just the idea of slonking eggs um michael in the chat earlier said i need to know how many eggs i should be feeding my husband daily yeah. uh so what kind of tips about um i mean i love your thoughts on both the eggs the cholesterol but then also like protein and just some principles on how men can be dieting in a way that can help them to build strength and make sure that they're uh they're getting all the nutrients that they need for um healthy testosterone levels as well as sure. just uh making sure that they can actually build muscle and they're not just depleting everything when they go to the gym yeah, sure. I, I think the hardest thing to do for, for most men and most women, by the way, and it's actually equally as important for women, is to get enough protein. And it's actually harder for women because women have lower protein synthesis, right? They, they don't have testosterone. The ability for them, yeah, women will look at other women who are jacked, let's say, and they'll go, I don't want to look like them. It's like, I don't, I don't want to eat a bunch of protein and lift weights and get jacked. Like, that's not possible. There's only two ways to get jacked as a female in the weight room. One is to use performance enhancing drugs, which if you see a professional athlete who's jacked, that's what they're doing. Or it was a girl that weighed 300 pounds and was fat and has lost 60 pounds and now she's 240 and way more jacked, still 240 pound female. And so ladies will look at it and be like, I don't want, you know, I don't want to be 240 pounds and jacked. Yeah, but she was 300 and sloppy like a year, <laughs> a year ago. And so uh, protein synthesis is hard for females. So it's, it's very hard to put on muscle for females. So females, what will happen is if they lift heavy and they should lift just like men, there's like, there's no difference in the way you should lift, but because of our hormonal milieu, the, what the, re, the response to your body will, will be different. So for men, you're, you're going to put on, if you have adequate testosterone and you eat adequate protein, you're going to put on muscle for women. They're going to put on a little bit of muscle, but mostly their muscles just going to get hard. It's going to get firm, which they call toned, which is not really a, a, a physiology or kinesiology term. Um, but what they really just mean is like, you know, I, I don't want big arms and I don't want this like flop, flappy thing underneath my tricep or whatever. And that goes away and they get what they what they think is toned. But really what it is, it's just a it's just a it's a hardness of the of the myofibril in the in the in the muscle tissue. So it's just muscle gets hard, which is what they want for guys. 
uh, when the aunt, the question is, I need to know how many eggs I should be feeding. What's that guy from Parks and Rec? Austin, <laughs> the libertarian dude. What's his name? Nick Nick Offerman. What's his? Why can't I think of his name? Anyway, you yeah. know, and Nick's like, uh, all the eggs and bacon. Did you like? Have you guys seen that? And so yeah. you just feed him all the eggs. There's not too many eggs. And you know, he orders like he orders a steak at a diner, and they bring him this like hideous looking thing that's been on a flat top griddle. <laughs> and he's like, "What is this?" And they said, "A steak." And he like he's he like take it away. He's like, "Bring me all the eggs and bacon you have." He goes, "Hope, I fear you didn't hear me correctly. <laughs> I didn't say bring me a lot of bacon and eggs. I said bring me all the bacon and eggs you have." And so, <laughs> so that's the. You can eat as many eggs as you want. Now, here's here's the thing about the raw egg nationalists that is that is a little bit problematic. Raw egg whites are not very digestible from a, or at least the protein is not easy to um, synthesize. And so, um, the egg yolks raw are great. They're full. That's where all the vitamins are. It's where the fat is and the egg yolks. The egg whites are where the protein is. The best way to eat your eggs is actually lightly cooked egg whites with, you know, like sunny side up, raw, re relatively raw or, you know, very runny egg yolks, but where the white becomes less translucent and, you know, more mm. opaque, it's going to digest easier. Um, I'm sure, you know, if you're chugging 10 and 12 eggs at a time, you're certainly probably getting plenty of protein, but it's not super easy for your body to digest and consume and actually meat is actually easier to utilize and turn into usable protein for muscle synthesis the more raw it is. Now, hear me correctly. I'm not telling you to eat raw chicken and raw pork, <laughs> but this is why you should eat your steak, rare and medium rare. That's why sushi is way better than cooked fish because as you cook the protein, it actually denatures the protein a lot of times. So a lot of that protein gets denatured and is not really... It's, it's, it's digested, don't get me wrong. It's not doesn't sit in your gut and doesn't digest. I mean, but it's going to pass through, but it's not going to be able to use, be used as protein synthesis. So my typical rule of thumb, and this is obviously a massively massive blanket statement. Most men need to aim for 200 grams of protein a day. Hmm. And that's actually not as hard as you think. Uh, I mean, if you eat like a bird and you intermittent fast in the morning and then you only eat a light lunch and dinner, you're not going to get 200 grams of protein. It's just not possible. So I don't have anything against intermittent fasting and I don't eat anything for the first three or four hours of the day I'm awake because I get up so early. It's, you know, it's a coffee for me, but it's hard to get enough protein in. So I, I try to eat three normal meals a day that have real protein in it. And then I, I live on, and most of my clients and those of you who are on the call know, I love like the fair life protein milks or the fair life core powers that you get at either Costco or Sam's and the core power is like 42 grams of protein and the fair life uh, protein milks are 30 grams of protein and pre-mixed there's chocolate and vanilla and coffee and strawberry and whatever, and they're delicious. And my fridge is always full of them. And if I just need a quick 42 grams of protein, I can grab it and chug it in like four seconds. And I got 42 grams of protein. So if you eat, if you eat three meals a day that have 50 grams of protein in it, which is not that hard. I mean, like a, a giant chicken breast off of one of those rotisserie chickens from Costco or Sam's, which are I'm sure heavily laden with steroids. <laughs> chickens are they're not supposed yeah. to be that big. But the, the chicken breast is, one chicken breast is like 90 grams of protein. Now, not your average chicken breast, but I'm talking about those big rotisseries that come from Costco or Sam's. That's 90 grams of protein. It's easy to get 50 grams of protein, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then just have one shake. 42 grams, it's 192. Good. Done. Go to bed. 
So it's not that people sometimes are like, I can't eat this. Well, what are you eating? You know, They're like, well, I'm eating tilapia. Like, yeah, it's hard to eat 200 grams of protein of tilapia. <laughs> and if and, yeah. and and just like I said, with the females, the same is the case as you get older, male or female, your protein synthesis goes down. So it's actually interesting. We look at like 22 year old guys. We're training a bunch of guys in the Air Force right now. We got some some military contracts, the EOD guys, the explosive ordnance disposal, the the bomb guys. They're crazy. And people will look at them. They're 22 years old and they're these like athletic, you know, special forces type guys, special operations guys. Like those are the guys that can eat, eat 225 grams of protein. Those guys could probably get away with 125 grams a day and build all the muscle they need to because they're like 22 years old and walking bottles of testosterone, like not exogenous testosterone. There's like mm -hmm. the way Jesus made them, right? And so, but when you're a 70 year old man or woman, your protein synthesis it goes down a lot. And so the percentage of caloric intake your protein needs to be actually goes up. And so you actually need more and more protein as you get older or more and more female. Those are the two things that, that actually really matter. And so, or vegetarian, which I can't imagine you have lots of listeners here that are vegetarian, but the quality of vegetarian protein, like I would never count the protein like you know, like when, remember when you're a kid and it's like you get wonder bread and it's like, it's got five grams of protein and it's like two X more protein than the average bread. Like that's completely worthless protein. It's not, it's not mm -hmm. at first, it's not a complete protein. It doesn't have a complete amino acid profile. So it's, so you want protein. I always joke and say, you want to eat protein with something that had a face, <laughs> that had a face <laughs> or laid an egg, which had a face. Then it, it counts. Right. So then, mm -hmm. you know, Milk, milk is fine too. So yeah, that that's that's kind of that's the goal. So 200 grams of protein for guys. And the older you get, the more protein you need, at least the more percentage of your caloric intake needs to be protein. Hmm. What's your thoughts on like raw milk then? Since you mentioned milk a moment ago. I love raw milk. That's actually what I was drinking when I won my pro card in Strongman. Uh, the problem for me now is when I graduated high school, I was 160 pounds. I got married at 170. I pushed my body weight up to 310. And, you know, now I'm like 245. I've lost like 60 pounds. And, and if I drink raw milk, the fat content is just so high. It's that's I'll just get fat. <laughs> but I love raw milk. I love raw milk. If you have a, if your husband is underweight and needs to put on 20 pounds of muscle, raw milk's awesome. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And I live in the Midwest. I mean, I, you know, it's everywhere. So I didn't have to buy it from the, you know, I wasn't worried about the, the DEA coming in, which they do sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, let in illegal immigrants and and then and then arrest the people that were buying the raw milk <laughs> off the. So right. I could just go. I could just go to a dairy. I would go and get a Culligan, a five gallon Culligan water container from Lowe's mm -hmm. or Walmart or whatever. And I would go to the to the dairy that had all grass fed grass fed milk, and I would just go to the holding tank and say, "What would you charge me for five gallons a week?" And at the time, this is probably 15 years ago, they were like, uh, dollar twenty-five a gallon. I was like, What? <laughs> they were like, dollar twenty-five a gallon. Wow. <laughs> so I'd buy raw milk for dollar twenty-five a gallon. Literally, the cows would be standing, they'd be milking the cows, would be going into the stainless steel holding tank. It wasn't even cold yet. It was still like body room temperature, oh, yeah. you know, the temperature of the cows. And I put it in the Culligan, just five gallons, and then I got a beverage fridge down in my basement. I just stuck this thing, turned it on its side, stuck it in the fridge. And by the end of the week, the rule was I had to have drank all five gallons of raw milk. And then the next Monday, I would go and get another five gallons. <laughs> so that's, awesome. that's how you become a pro strong man. And a lot of drugs. Like and that. a lot of drugs. So yeah. <laughs> don't do that part. So that's probably a little easier to keep the fat off. Uh, so what about dairy like in general and, and these type of foods that, that 
you know, I'm not super into the dietitian side of things, but I know that there's a lot of foods that supposedly can raise um, estrogen in a man. So yeah. what kind of food should men be avoiding? What kind of food should women be avoiding? Yeah. Um, maybe just some general principles there. Yeah. And actually to come back, because I didn't answer your question about the cholesterol, dietary cholesterol does not, it, it's shown to have like almost no increase in bloodline cholesterol levels in, in humans. It just doesn't do it. And so cholesterol... I keep losing my monitor. Sorry, guys. Um, cholesterol in and of itself is not unhealthy. It's it's a it's a health marker for for people. And so, typically, if you have high cholesterol, it tends to also um, identify that you might have additional plaque levels in your in your arterial veins in your arterial sidewalls. Sorry, I'm gonna try to plug my monitor back in. I don't know why it unplugged on me. Um, so it it tends to it tends to show that. And so it, it in and of itself, high cholesterol is not necessarily unhealthy. Um, and so it tends to be a decent marker for the potential of extra lipids in your bloodstream in your, you know, in, in your, in your, on your arterial walls. And as you lay down more fat and plaque and triglycerides on your arterial walls, then you'll get calcium deposits on top of that. And when you get calcium deposits on top of that, I'm going to switch my monitor i apologize uh when you get calcium deposits on top of that that's that's what when you get these calcium deposits on top of the plaque in the arterial wall then that's when you tend to have a problem with um potentially that plaque can break off and it will it will lead to a, a blood clot or can run up to your brain and cause a stroke or whatnot and so so cholesterol in the past has been a decent marker for that but it's not the best marker. So now we have much, there we go. Now we have much better markers. Um, for example, you, you can get a, um, a 54 slide cat scan on your heart. Usually people, it's not even insurance. And it most hospitals charge like 70 bucks or it's under a hundred dollars for this. And they'll do like those 54 slides of your heart and they'll see how much plaque and how much it's called the calcium score test. You can see how much calcium, if you've laid down plaque, your body will produce calcium to sit on top of that plaque and basically cover it like a blanket. And what a statin does, which I'm not a big fan of statins, unless you have uh, predominantly you have you have uh, genetically very high cholesterol. A statin is generally not a great drug, and it's also typically only good for middle aged to older men. So I, I would typically not, and I'm not a doctor, and not giving medical device, but medical advice. But what a, what a statin typically does is it lays down an extra blanket like on top of the plaque. And on top of the calcium so that it won't break off of the arterial wall and cause a, if it runs to your heart, it causes a heart attack. If it runs to your brain, it causes a, it's a blood clot and you'll get a stroke. And so uh, dietary con consumption of cholesterol almost never leads to an increase in cholesterol in, in blood lipid profiles. And so that's, that's triglycerides are probably a better indicator than your cholesterol. The ratio of your HDL, your high density uh, lipoprotein cholesterol to your LDL. So what most people call HDLs are healthy cholesterol and LDL is unhealthy cholesterol. Also, those are on a spectrum. So it's not like you just have high density and there's stuff in the middle too. Those are also, that ratio is also probably pretty good. On the other stuff, man, I, here's the thing. If you have all the other things in place, so if you are eating 200 grams of protein, you're eating mostly single ingredient foods and specifically carbohydrates. So if most carbohydrates, you're not eating processed carbohydrates, but you're eating rice and potatoes and fruit, let's say those three. So single ingredient carbs, not Krispy Kreme donuts, not bread, 
sourdough bread ladies are fine. We we love that. It's you know made from home. <laughs> it's got three ingredients in it. It's okay. Uh, but you know, not bread from the store, not McDonald's French fries. You know, not not processed foods. If you have all that stuff in place and your macronutrient breakdown is basically correct, so you again you're eating about 200 grams of protein. Let's say maybe equal amount of fat, uh, equal amount of carbs, 200 grams of carbs, and maybe 100 grams of fat. Something something in that ballpark. It's basically going to be like a 33%, 33%, caloric ratio between protein, fat, and carbs. If all that is in place and you've already hit the big stuff, that's the base of the the pyramid, then I absolutely would start to look at things like fluoride in the water and seed oils and all the stuff that people talk about. I think that stuff does matter. I think that I see, again, in the Reformed Christians and trad people that are like ah seed oils are evil and fluoride and i agree like they're all it's probably all poison but then they they still eat crap and they don't train they don't exercise like come on let's let's hit the bottom of the pyramid first train get your protein in eat single ingredient carbs stop eating twinkies which also are probably full of seed oils and all the other crap um and then you can start looking at some of that other stuff so of course you know like you know, I'm not going to buy extra. I'm not going to buy seed oil or like cooks. You know, I'm going to cook stuff in coconut oil or olive oil or butter or, or lard or, you know, beef tallow. I mean, I think that's that's smart and wise to do. I think using a water filter, especially if you're on city water and not well water, I think that's smart thing to do. But I also think it's kind of the top of the pyramid stuff that often, you know, people will will really focus on those things when there are other you know, it's, it's kind of the, it's kind of the speck in the eye versus the plank in the eye sort of thing. Right. Like, like let's get the big stuff figured out first and then move on to the smaller stuff. Hmm. And yeah. estrogen, same thing, soy, you know, but again, do you know a lot of, well, here's the biggest problem I see in, with soy in the United States. This is, I, I, again, I can't imagine people are listening that don't know this, but like if you have an infant at home and for some reason you can't breastfeed or whatever, do not feed your sons, your infant sons, soy formula. That is mm. hideously bad. But but if I go eat Japanese food and they give me miso soup and it's got a couple pieces of, of soy in it, like I'm just, I'm going to eat it. Who cares? Like so, it doesn't mm. matter, right? Like that's so minor. I'm not like most of my, cal- my cal- I don't have a bunch of calories coming from soy. So it doesn't matter that much. But the problem that I really see is you, and a lot of people don't know. I mean, I've, I've had friends that are, you know, for whatever reason, they just they couldn't breastfeed or the baby had a had a medical problem and was and was separated from the mom for a couple of weeks while they were, you know, in ICU or whatever. And so so the mom's breast supply dried up and they couldn't breastfeed. And like, yeah, we just went we got formula and like, what kind of formula? Like, oh, it's we're feeding them this uh, soy, you know, because they said it's better on it. Like, oh, my God, get your sons off that. That is that's a problem. And so. So, yeah, I mean, what what? what your what your children are exposed to in the early years and and a, not to go off on a rabbit hole tangent again i know your listeners will agree with this but this is the problem beyond the moral issue of biological men competing against biological females as trans women obviously all sorts of moral and spiritual and ethical issues there as well but the problem is the amount of testosterone you're exposed to in while while you're being carried and you're you know while while your mom's pregnant with you the amount of testosterone you're exposed to as a, as a as an unborn child is exponentially higher 
than any female is ever going to be exposed to. It changes the hormonal milieu forever. So even if some horrific parents transition their sons at seven or eight or 10 or, you know, put them on the puberty blockers, they will always have more muscle mass, more protein synthesis, more testosterone. Even if they take them off of those, put them on testosterone blockers, what it has done to their body in the first 10 years of their life can never be reversed. Now, you'll screw them up for the rest of your life hormonally with all of that. But that's that's why I can't even believe this is an issue. That why nobody even looks at it. You know, again, so we have all these rules about you're not allowed to take exogenous testosterone for performance enhancing drugs like in the Olympics or what they all do, but they, they work their way around it. But like that's against the rules. But if you are a a, a biological male competing against biological females and you've somehow decided that you're a woman and you can be on estrogen and testosterone blockers for two years you're like yeah you're basically a woman you can compete as a woman no you can't you're you're still way more masculine than that than the females you compete against likewise on the other side they'll take females and they'll load them up full of steroids which are illegal for performance and drugs let them take it and then compete against the men they still get killed but like it just it's just this is the clown world that we live in so so yeah hit, yeah, hit your protein, fat, and carbs first, single ingredient foods, and then worry about the fluoride and the uh, soy and the and the seed oils. Second. It's Grief. <laughs> yeah. We live in a crazy time. The fact that we even have to discuss these things. Nuts. I mean I mean it, it's unfortunate, but it's just the 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 world we live in. And and everything that you said, Matt, is all thought crime that you are not supposed to espouse. I know. I know if it comes out on Barbara Logic, I'll be in trouble. They'll cancel me probably. But, you know, it is what it is. So it, yeah. it, it is bizarre that we will make the case of fairness for one and we will sacrifice the fairness for all or for everyone else on behalf of what they what the left calls the fairness for one. So you, you've got a, a boy who thinks they're a girl. Let's be fair to them and let them compete against the girls. So it's fair to them. Like It's not fair to the girls that they're competing against. It's bizarre that we've created this thing of fairness. Like it's like life is fair anyway, right? Like, yeah, it's not even life. You the know, world like, is not egalitarian. There's just, yeah. there's hierarchies in the world and we can't yeah. pretend that everyone is equal and everyone's the yeah. same. And we're all just a cog machine. You don't get to go be in the, in, a, in the NBA. Right. A prime you, example. You I mean, identify, I'm five, eight, I'm five, yeah. eight. I'm not, the, I'm not <laughs> like, you're just, nope. Sorry. Yeah, Michael's at least six seven. I mean, so he's he's got that going for him. Whereas, well, you know, notice that, and it, it's I've started to see a tiny bit of talk on this on on Twitter X, that that the one place that they don't tend to push on this very hard is in professional sports where there's tons of money. Like, mm-hmm. why why aren't there more five foot two white women playing in the NFL or in the NBA? Yeah, like, wouldn't that be fair? Like I also think it wake wake up too many normies. I don't think that they're ready to push that far yet. I th- I think that uh, that might do it. To, honestly, that's something that Michael and I talked about as well. Is just the the sports bros that don't get up on off off the couch, you know, and they they just their idol is sports. They're watching yeah. three four games a week, and and they're not they're not involved in their children's lives. They're not involved sure. in their local politics. They're not involved in their local church. Um, you know, and and <laughs> I, I truly actually think that that's a lot of it. I think that there is a, a sleeping sleeping giant that they want to keep comfortable. They want to keep sure. them sleeping. And, um, and look, so they'll I, throw I in a little bit I'm of sure. kneeling in the anthem. And that's about it. 
Yes, and I'm I'm sure even free, like sports are great to play. Mm-hmm. To play, <laughs> yeah. not to worship, right? I was telling the story at church actually Sunday. I took a I had a buddy years ago, probably ten years ago. He was a huge NFL fan, a huge like Tennessee Titans fan, and he his mm-hmm. brother had won season tickets to the Tennessee Titans in Nashville. And at the time, I was a I was born in Houston. I was a Houston Texans fan, but I was I have two daughters and a wife, and they're not really interested. In, we're, we're I'm in Missouri, so it's Chiefs country. So we we certainly watched the Chiefs a little bit this year. Um, but you know, I haven't really watched sports for ten years. I used to be really into sports, and I haven't watched them for years because if I'm watching sports, I'm not spending time with my family. I don't have sons that want to watch sports. I don't have and my wife didn't want to watch it. My kids don't want to watch it. So we're going to do things they want to do. And um, and so he invites me ten years ago to see a, a game of the the Texans against the Titans. And you know that somebody scores a touchdown for the Titans, and everybody jumps up and touchdown and they raise their hands up above their head and you know a couple weeks later i invited him to church and he came to church and the, the church i was going to at the time which was not charismatic at all but not reformed kind of more of a big eva type church not the church i go to now um you know there was raising of the hands during the during the the song singing and the worship and whatnot and afterwards he's like what's up with the weird like raising of the hands and the worship so i was like uh, it's the same thing that you do when the Titans score a touchdown. And he was like, <laughs> you could see the light bulb go on. He was like, oh, I was like, uh, it's, wor- it's worship, right? Like they're, yeah. they're again, without the, who knows how much authenticity there was on either side. But like, mm-hmm. you know, like they're at least think and maybe are worshiping the Lord as we're created to worship. And you're worshiping a football team and it looks exactly the same. Exactly mm-hmm. the same. And then you could see the light. He was like, oh, he got it. You know, he was like, gotcha. <laughs> so that's, a, that's it. So that yeah, that's it. Yeah. But such a valuable lesson. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate, but I think that that's just the the day and age we live in. Everyone has to worship something, which, you know, is, is a, I, I understand the concern. I think that so many of the, um, the commentators had that were uh, kind of when this thing blew up and it was really a lot, a lot more of a discussion a couple of months back about physical fitness within the church. Um, but I understand the, the whole point of, of uh, them being concerned about, um, you know, idolatries. It's what is, was it uh, Chesterson who said that the, the heart is an idol and uh, like a, uh, an idolatry it was, factory. It was, it was Calvin. 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 That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Definitely further back. Um, but you know, it's, it's the same, uh concept that you can make an idol of anything though and yep. and sports is is an idol um movies is an idol i don't know sure. why i feel like i i know a lot of pastors that are super obsessed with pop culture yep. um you know that tends to be an idol and honestly to go back to sports I, the amount of pastors that i see and this has been at every church and including many of the ones that i go to and so i'm not i'm not calling out any pastors specifically because um, there's great pastors that maybe fall into this category, but it, it's like the only manly thing that you're allowed to actually mention from the pulpit is sports. Right. <laughs> and it's like, it's, As it's so it's unfortunate. Manly. What was that, Michael? As if that is manly, but right. Right. It's but that's just manliness. it. But, but to my point earlier, that's, that's where the, the men are. I mean, yeah. I mean, not necessarily the younger generations. I think the younger generations are more uh, into gaming, but yep. I, I think uh, a lot of, Yep. You know, every, everyone over the age of like 40, um, there's definitely a, a sports obsession in a way. It's just, it's the, it's the circus, um, that goes along with our bread uh, to, to yep. keep us, yep. uh, satiated. Um, because honestly the, the amount of, the amount of, 
I find it odd, I guess I should say, that there's just this normalcy around sports fandom. Yep. Meanwhile, it's like, guys, like, you know, the, the same people that are going to get on you for, you know, idolizing politics because maybe you know, you know, what's going on, you know, the recent news stories are the same guys that are going to turn around and be able to list all the stats of their, of That's their right. fantasy team. And it's yep. like, you know, if you want to talk about idolizing politics, sure, that's fair. You you definitely can make an idol of politics. But which one actually matters at the end of the day? I mean, I mean, sure. do you benefit your neighbor by knowing the stats of your of your fantasy league? I think you probably benefit your neighbor by knowing the name of your mayor, your city council, and sure. knowing what things that they're voting on a little bit more. So I just find that that idolatry to and that hypocrisy to be unfortunately rampant among evangelical christians sure. reformed well, they're, christians they're, you know? they're living vicariously i think through athletes is what's going on and mm -hmm. so if you're playing fantasy football which i don't think is inherently a sin i haven't played fantasy football in 10 years but i used to but if you if you play fantasy football but you don't do anything physical you got a problem if you're playing fantasy football but you're not playing sports if you're playing fantasy football and you're not lifting weights like whatever the thing is and like your your outlet to physicality and exercise and sports is fantasy football you're larping <laughs> that's what you're doing i mean you're just yeah. you're just living vicariously through the athletes right and look i like again i watched a little bit of sport i have i watched no sports for the last 10 years in the last year or two i watched a little golf and a little bit of nfl you know i'll watch a guy like patrick mahomes and like man this guy is like the freakiest athlete among all the other freaky athletes it's really it's wild to watch and i can watch it and just be like i can't imagine what it would like to be there so i get it like you see it and you're just like Boy, be cool to be that athletic, you know. But also, like, I lift and ride my bike and I hike and I ruck and I, you know, I do the things. And so, if all I did was sit at home and play fantasy football and watch all the Chiefs games and then all the, you know, all the all the, you know, Monday morning quarterback shows, like that's that's a problem. And so, and again, I mean, it's, it's not a new, it's not a new problem, right? Like we, it's just. Just look at the Israelites. <laughs> look at the Israelites in the <laughs> in the desert. You know, and it's just like it was a constant, this constant battle of idolatry. And because we don't make golden calves anymore, then we write it off. It's like, well, it's not like really an idol. It's not really like, you know. But boy, I love the Chosen. It's such a great show. It's like, mm, hold on, <laughs> that's that's an idol too, right? Or what you know? Or boy, I love the Chiefs. Or boy, you know, whatever. Or I love my kids or I love taking my kids to the, the baseball tournaments every weekend and missing church or like idle kiddos. Sorry. I don't know what to tell you. It is right. And so yeah. I was just, and it's not that I don't struggle with this in my own life. I, everyone has idols in their own life that they constantly yep. have to battle. I was in Chicago all last week for board meeting and it was a pain in the butt to fly home on Saturday, but I flew home on Saturday so I could make church on Sunday. And it would have been much easier to fly. I mean, I still had business to do on Saturday, got to the airport, flew home so I could be at church because that's the Lord's Day. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm like, I'm not saying you can't ever miss church, but we take this stuff seriously. And so, and we should. And so, you know, Sunday is not about football. Sunday is the Lord's Day. And so that's, uh, I think that's the other problem is that you get the sacrifice of the thing that really matters, like the the faith and the Lord's day and church and church community and your family and leading your family well, or leading your community well or whatever. And you sacrifice those things for stuff that doesn't even matter. It's not important for the yep. fantasy football team or the video. There's game an important or... distinction that you made earlier, Matt, is that you can still enjoy those things and not idolize them. 
there's certainly of a course. place for recreational athletics and yep. watching athletics as as there is a place potentially for pop culture yeah. I, although i don't understand it but that's <laughs> <laughs> you know these things don't have to become idols but like we said at the very top of this conversation matt you were talking about uh disciplines and you know jocko's discipline or or lack thereof not that he does a lack of it's just Sure. Like waking up early may not be a discipline it's a motivation and it's now a habit yep. our disciplines become motivations and become habits and when we become disciplined on on fantasy football and then we're motivated to continue consuming that sort of uh, recreation until it's a habitual lifestyle that rules our livelihood that's right. That's when it becomes idolatry. That's a problem. Yep, that's right. And we need to orient right, our, our disciplines towards being Christ-like and towards yeah, the things that matter, the fruits of the spirit. Yeah, I put, I put, I'm writing a book. I got to deal with Forbes. Um, we've got a book coming out later this year uh, called Undoing Urgency, and re and really the focus of the book is about removing the unimportant, urgent things in your life, so that you can focus on the the things that are most important, which are never urgent. Right, spiritual disciplines and and family and church community and and health and longevity, like the stuff that actually matters. That none of that stuff is actually ever urgent. But it's the most important. But we'll we'll be overrun in our life with urgency. Um, talking about idols, I, I don't think I've called this out on a podcast before, and I'm not going to name anybody by names, but I definitely have people in my in my mind. Um, man, the idol of celebrity among yeah. culture, including the reformed pastor culture, is something I see mm. that is a pervasive problem, especially on on Twitter on X. Uh, there are a lot of guys who everything they post on Twitter, I agree with or most of what they post, I agree with. But you can see it and you go like, this is a plea for celebrity. This is a plea for clicks and likes and virality and whatever. And I'm just like, it's not, are you, are you spending that same amount of time pastoring your flock, pastoring your, like are you shepherding, shepherding your people? And so, man, that, that, Cult of celebrity is seductive to, to all, and we've seen many a pastor fall from it. Um, and it, you know, when we were kids, it was the televangelist pastor, but now it's going to be it's going to be the Twitter pastor, it's going to be the ex pastor, it's going to be it's those guys uh, that continued to push on on just being viral and saying things that that you know inflame or ignite or whatever. And um, I'm very worried that there is going to be uh, a few big time falls over the next few years for those pastors who have been who have been sucked in to the, to the seductiveness of celebrity on, on Twitter. Hmm. That's encouraging to hear that you're seeing that. Cause I, I feel like I've been sort of seeing the same thing there. There does seem to be a, a faction online that, that they kind of will rubber stamp anything if there's a name tied to it. And it's kind of like, well, is the name, where you're like is, is the name the filter that you're going through is is if right. this pastor has put their hand on it or yep. is your filter scripture and yeah, that sounds obvious scripture. and yep. you know most of our most of our camp would, would would then immediately agree with us but sure you know there's still just this tendency to oh well because this person's a wise father in the faith therefore like i shouldn't test what they say to scripture and it's sure. like whoa nope. whoa yep. like Take a step back, make sure what they're saying is scriptural. And, and, you know, I've, I've even noticed instances where I've seen some, 
men uh, in that space that are have smaller followings and some of these big guys have called out the big guys and I've watched those men basically stop being invited to all these things all these yeah. reform podcasts and you know if we're talking specifically about reform you Twitter get, get a lot of these reform po- they, they there's like a blacklist and it's like yeah. oof oof guys yeah. like that that's that should be a red flag um, yeah. you know if you're blacklisting someone for heresy okay but if you're blacklisting yeah. someone because they gave you a criticism that was potentially yeah. valid and yeah, you know, admonishment. Um, you know, that's uh, that's that's a huge yeah. concern. So, hopefully- yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I've thought a lot about this because, uh, especially with like the older church fathers, for me, they they're important in my life. But but as I think about my theology and my doctrine, and I've talked to my pastor a lot about this, like it's they're they're at least in my mind right now. I would say like they're clearly third. And what I mean by that is, scripture is our ultimate authority, right? Like we appeal to scripture, we're sola scriptura. That's what we do. And so we we weigh everything against the balance of 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 the or the words of what Scripture says. That's God's word. Um, we use God's word then to develop a a good and right systematic theology. I think that matters. I think having a good theology and understand so that you don't take God's word out of context. Like it's it's important to to compare it with other verses of you know you you can see continuity. It's why you need to know all of Scripture. And so that that. Systematic theology is really important, but then also I also will look at the church fathers, especially the reformers or 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 the um, patristics. And you know, you're looking at Augustine and like go all the all the way back, whatever. And you look at those guys and you go like, look, these guys have stood the test of time for at least 500 years, if not a couple thousand years. And if they stood the test of time, and I am believing something that's completely different than what any of these guys that I've respected have ever said, right? Like, what's <laughs> up? I saw a podcast. Uh, it was called "The Reformed Charismatic" the other day, and I was like, "The Reformed Charismatic." I was like, "Does anyone exist like that?" And I guess maybe as I started thinking, I was like, "There's some more of those, so it's fine." But I thought, if I if I develop a systematic theology that is completely different than what the church fathers have ever said, then to me that should be a red flag. Now it's third because it's yeah. it's sola scriptura first, it's systematic theology, and then I start to look at one of the problems we have, but it's also it can be a great benefit is the fact that we have the entirety of the world's knowledge like right here on my cell phone. So I do get access to, uh, there are wonderful, great minds, wonderful Christian men, incredibly smart theologians that are alive today. They're posting on Twitter. They're posting on X. They're putting out great blogs and and podcasts and YouTube videos and whatnot. I can learn a lot from them. But man, I got to be careful, especially with the guys in the present, because we're all depraved. We're all fallible. And we can all fall. And so, and I, and I went through this in my early, when I first became Calvinist, I was part of that kind of young, restless and reform crowd that, which wasn't really reform, but if you know, you know, it's the, the, the Chandlers and the Driscolls and the Pipers and the, and the Kellers and stuff. And I was like, these guys are amazing. And like, since then we have watched most of those guys fall hmm. because I put a ton of emphasis and effort and, you know, I worship them like a, like other guys would worship like sports guys. And then, like, this is the problem with, with essentially putting someone on a pedestal that's in the present. Let's let them die, and that's five hundred years later. Let's, let's. <laughs> so you know, and you start to, you're like, all right, like we can talk about Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Augustine and John Knox, and okay, like that's, they're they're probably not going to fall at this point. <laughs> There's probably not going to be any yeah. kind of major uh, catastrophes, major sex out. scandal I'm, coming out. Of- yeah, probably not. <laughs> they've probably they've probably gotten through that. And so it's important. I, I, you know, I think it is important because you, you look at those guys, and you're like, they were really, really intelligent. They're really smart. They built off each other. They learned from each other. If you come up with a systematic theology, it has nothing that 
to do with anything they ever said, I think that should bring up a red flag. Like maybe they were smarter than you and you don't quite have it figured out. So I think it's important. But when it's like, oh, just because I'm in, you know, this pastor's camp, I'm going to believe everything that's been said. Like, that's, they're fallible, man. And, yeah. and by the way, so were those guys, right? Like we, you know, none of us agree with everything Luther said or everything Calvin said, or like we read what they, and we're like, we're eh, pretty good on this and this and this. And then like, this thing was a little, they're a little dodgy on this, on this issue. So you gotta be careful of that stuff for sure. So and you can, you can make it an idol. You make doctrine an idol. I mean, I think we do this. We make doctrine an idol, we make theology an idol, yeah. the intellectual knowledge of scripture an idol. Again, all good things, right? Children an idol, work an idol, whatever those things are. Like Christian people tend to not make cocaine and hookers idols. <laughs> it's not, that's not our MO, right? Our MO is making good things idols. We take good things and we turn them into something that they shouldn't be. And that's, and absolutely exercise and strength training can be that. But just because it can be that doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater and decide not to strength train and not to exercise. And like food can obviously be an idol. We have a massive obesity problem in the United States. Mm -hmm. We don't stop eating food. Like, right. You have to have a, I don't like this term very well, but it's a, you have to have a right relationship with food. You need to understand, like, you need to be able to eat food in a healthy way that's glorifying to the Lord. So you don't stop eating food. You don't stop exercising. You know, so, so all, all of these are connected, I think, from a, from a philosophical standpoint to understand what is healthy. And so, again, every one of these things, just like we started the show with, is there's two ditches. There's the idolatry side, and there's the throw the baby out with the bathwater side. And of these good things, good things are good things for a reason. There's, there's grace, there's common grace there for us and even beyond that for us, for Christians, that we can, we can lift weights to the glory of God. My, my atheist friends cannot. They cannot lift weights to the glory of God. It's still yeah. a good thing, good thing for all. It's common grace. My job is to keep, keep the car on the road. Don't let it turn into an idol and don't throw it out and decide it's, you know, because it's only said it had some value in Scripture, we've decided it has no value. It's not what it says. It doesn't say it has no value. It has some value. So we do it. Yeah. Well said. I think that might be a great place to wrap it. So Matt, where can people go to uh, awesome. find you and keep up with everything that you're doing? Yeah. So the company's Barbell Logic. You can find all kinds of stuff. Uh, we put out tons of free content, really high quality, highly produced content on the YouTube channel, Barbell Logic YouTube, Barbell Logic podcast, uh, all that fun stuff, Barbell Logic on all social media. I'm at Reynolds Strong on all social media. And yeah, look forward to the Undoing Urgency book coming out by Forbes uh, here in a few months. Pretty excited about the book coming out. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. Of course. Glad to have you. Michael, where can people find you? Well, I will be diving deeply into the uh, into the books this semester, so I won't be on the podcast quite as often. But I do want to leave you, as, as always, trying to make a habit out of, of it, a uh, scripture. That's Proverbs 24, verses 5 and 6. So I'll read that here. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. So we've had good counsel today, cultivating strength. We appreciate you, Matt. Awesome. And Thank you, guys. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Go to our Substack, forgeandanvil.substack.com. If you want to support us in what we do, you can subscribe for free just to get the free content. And then we do have some uh, stuff behind the paywall as well if you are uh, willing to uh, subscribe. We really appreciate the support. But thanks again, guys, and we will see you next time.